Story number one. Pretty little death worlders. A pack of suicidal primates. These humans, said a tiny alien to her boss at a terse voice, are a pack of suicidal primates. Dalkismanant, please contain yourself. If they were suicidal, they would have nuked themselves as they were predicted to. You don't understand. This isn't about their aggression levels. What is that supposed to mean? Some time had passed since the tragic incident in the High Senate. The research station set up as a temporary measure for the sharing of information had been decommissioned. Now everyone involved was just a larger base of a proxy system. It was primarily a science facility, but it also had a military and trading installations. The military zone wasn't quite what Captain Pradeep Singh had come to expect from military bases. It was rather more relaxed than a human military base. There was a lot less shouting from the superiors. In fact, some of their alien comrades had been so horrified by the human military that they had actually complained about their own superiors, which had led a lot of discussions, followed by the commanding officers being forced to chill out a bit. This had not made Singh's own commanding officer happy. Still, mustn't complain. After all, the Stellar League's idea of a multi-species military base involved a huge multi-species training hall and gym. Not only had they fitted it with at least one of every piece of human gym equipment, but they had done the same for every other species. The result was a beautiful chaos. Some things could be used by multiple species, like the treadmills, Others were limited to just one, like the Zavadi multi-unit training stimulators, which were basically impossible without a hive mind. Interestingly enough, some species had come up with an almost identical equipment. Pretty much everyone, except the Doozy, had come up with a treadmill. The Sinzeti and the Avedi, meanwhile, had both come up with the idea of training flight hoops. This was probably because they could both fly. A series of hoops hung in the ceiling high above the rest of the training area. Sinsetti and Everelli alike flew through the hoops, practicing tight turns and different angles. Singh looked at the hoops curiously as he ran on the treadmill. They reminded him of something, but he wasn't quite sure what. You okay, sir? Lieutenant Chidari was running on the treadmill next to Singh. I'm fine, yes, he nodded at the hoops. Do they remind you of anything, Lieutenant? Chowdhury looked up at them himself, squinting and furrowing his brow. They do remind me of something, sir, but I can't tell what. Hmm. Singh kept running for a few more minutes, pondering the hoops. Then it hit him. He pressed the cool-down button on the treble and started planning a new training regime. Why do you want to watch soldiers and officers training, Dr. Dalkasmat? Dalkismanat had a head of Avril Military Division were walking down the corridor and the training hall. Dalkismanat was clutching the data screen in the input pen in her hands. Oh, I'm studying the human physiology in comparison to that of other races, and I thought taking a look at the strenuous physical activity might get me a good data. That makes sense. Well, here we are. He pressed one talon into the door pad and the door slid open without a sound. The two of them walked out onto the balcony that overlooked the hall. There had been fifty or so individuals training in the hall and probably more than the rest benches underneath the balcony. Dalkismanat scanned the crowd with her eyes. The humans weren't hard to find. 
It looked like a few of them were on treadmills and one was lifting heavy weights. Fairly expected. She tapped in some notes. I'm going to say they really are persistence-based. Commander Valaine said as she did so. Most species run away a few minutes on the treadmills and then take a pause and then restart. We had to reconfigure them for the humans because they'll run for half of one of their hours before taking a break. Dalkismanak couldn't see the times entered into the treadmills from her vantage point, but she absolutely believed Verlaine's words. She watched as one of the humans finished his run and cooldown and stepped off the treadmill. He took a large drink of water from his bottle, then started walking to the other end of the room. That's Captain Singh, Verlaine said, pointing at the man. He was sent by one of the most populated human nations, India. Interesting man. Singh came to the end of the room where there was a set of climbing bars designed for the use with a Vactar, but popular amongst other species too. He looked the bars up and down and then started to climb. Dalkismanat watched intently. She already knew that humans liked climbing, but she hadn't seen one climb like this yet. She was curious. It only took a few minutes for Singh to reach the top of the climbing structure. He pulled himself up onto the top and then sat down uneasily, taking deep breaths. It was quite a long way back down. Fortunately, there were safety mats, and the space operated on a 0.6 Earth's gravity. He could probably have jumped off and only been bruised. Actually, that was what Dalkas had expected him to do. It seemed very human to her. Why carefully climb back down when he could jump off and barely be harmed? Most species like to avoid any injury at all, but humans did not care. So, of course, Singh didn't jump off. Instead, he began to carefully move along the structure with a weird shuffling motion. Still seated, when he reached the end of it, he paused to balance himself and reached up to grab the start platform for the flight rings. With a bit of effort, he pulled himself up onto it. Oh no, Dalkasman had said. I think he's going to jump off there. What? I mean, it's not too big of a deal, she added hurriedly. He won't be too badly harmed by it. Low gravity, padded mats. Don't scare me like that. Belaine ruffled his feathers in annoyance. I'm going to have a word with him about it, though. Or maybe I'll just have a word with his CO. Singh adopted a pouncing pose, now to the surface of the platform. His whole body tensed and then he lunged forward with the platform instead of letting himself fall. He reached ahead, his hands closed round the first light ring. Dalkas, Manat and Verlaine exchanged looks of horror. Then they looked back at the human officer, who was now hanging midair, just barely out of range of the safety mats. Captain Singh! Verlaine shouted, trying to do an impression of human majors. What do you think you're doing? Singh ignored Verlaine. He pulled up his legs and used his momentum of motion to start swinging back and forth. The entire room had now stopped to watch him. He swung further and further with each pass until the apex of one great forward swing. He let go and the ring and grabbed the next. Dalkasmanat did some quick calculations. The human upper body strength was high and their shoulders were oriented well for the sort of movement. Low gravity meant that Singh's arms were having to move less weight, so that strength counted for even for more. The rings were packed somewhat tightly together, meaning that the flyer had to turn sharply because they didn't have room for a gradual shift. 
given Singh's arm span, this high arm strength from training, and the momentum of his peak of each wing. Oh, good stars, he can actually pull this off. The entire room watched in awe as Captain Radeep's swing swung from ring to ring, traversing a course designed for creatures with limbs that it simply did not have. His face was soon slick with sweat, teeth bared, and an expression of strain and concentration. Far below him, the other human soldiers and officers cheered him on, clapping and shouting so loudly as to be almost a roar. The noise almost made Verlaine bolt in panic. By about halfway through the course, Singh's arms were starting to tremble. Each movement from the ring to ring was taking longer. And yet, he didn't stop. Not that he could. There was a gym equipment below him, and landing on it would have really hurt him. But the purpose of his movements was clear. Pride. Even if he could have backed out, he wouldn't have. A few of the Evreli in the gym moved to the hovering underneath him. Normally, a soldier or officer doing something this reckless would have resulted in them being forcibly removed from the activity. But the Evreli made no move to do so. Their crests were half-raised in curiosity. A few minutes later, Singh made it to the final ring. A hush went over the crowd as he paused in his swings. The swing to the ending platform would be the longest by far. There was no ring to grab, and he was obviously exhausted. He took a few deep breaths, and then started to swing backwards and forwards. At the apex of the fifth swing, he launched himself into the air. Singh's feet hit the ending platform with a solid thunk, and he threw his arms out in front of him, supporting himself on the wall. The room exploded with cheers. Singh sank down into a seated position, turning to lean against the wall and just breathe. What the hell are wrong with these people? Verlaine asked the air. Why did they even occur to him to even try? Dalka's Manat started searching for an answer in a data screen and found it. She passed it to Verlaine. Humans, recreational activities, playground. Well, every species has outdoor recreation. What the hell is monkey bars? He groaned. Okay, they swing themselves from bar to bar. This is an activity for children, and they're practically expected to fall and scrape off a bit of their skin in the process. Mm-hmm. I think Captain Thing thought the rings could be used as an extreme form of monkey bars. Verlaine gave her data screen back. Frick's sakes. Now that one of them has done it, the others are all going to try, aren't they? How do we stop them? My recommendations as a biologist currently studying humanity, Dal Kismanet said delicately, is that you set up an alternative course in an otherwise empty room with a padded floor, and tell the humans that they can use that one instead. Hold on, hold on, Del Naximar said. That doesn't sound entirely suicidal to me. Reckless, yes, but it sounds like the Captain Singh person made a reasoned decision to... That's only half of it. What? See, just as I was leaving the room after this incident... I got a message on my data pad screen. From Ambassador Miki Yamada, UHN, to researcher Zetran Dalkismanat, SSF. Subject, a meeting. Hello, Dalkismanat. I've been following your research on humans with some interest, and I have to think that you'd find an interesting opportunity to learn some more. My culture has a special meeting ceremony called a tea ceremony, and I think that you would enjoy taking part in one. 
I have an area reserved for one if you would like to take part. Please respond to this message with the appropriate time for it. Dal Kismanat considered the request carefully. She searched on her data screen for what a tea ceremony was. Ah, so it was a formal ritual performed by humans from the islands of Japan, which is where Yamada had been born. Tea was something that she already knew about. It was hot, caffeinated human beverage made from the leaves of a particular plant. She tried some already. It was quite nice. Well, no need to be rude, Dalkismanat sent up a reply to Yamada as requested. The ceremony was to take place the next day. Dalkismanat was wearing a formal bodysuit for the occasion. Yamada had indeed booked an outer area of the base and done some decorating. A large wooden paper pavilion of some sort had been erected and a meeting room. Heck, it wasn't even an actual meeting room, just a sliding storage room. It had probably been easier to set up here, or something. Dalkisman had knocked on the side of the structure in a traditional human manner. The door slid open, revealing Yamada. Yamada was wearing a long robe with a thick black cloth, just like the ones Dalkisman had seen while researching the tea ceremony. It was decorated with elegant flowers. Hello, Ambassador Yamada. I trust that I wasn't late. Oh no, come in, but please take off your boots and put them on next to my sandals. Yamada pointed to a pair of wooden footwear that had been tucked away in the side of the room. Dalkismanat did as asked, setting her boots carefully next to the sandals. Yamada had knelt down on the cushion next to the low table. Very low, actually, even for a Sanzati. There was a series of influence next to the table. At the side of the room, Dalkismanat saw two drinking bowls, one far smaller than the other. A container labeled tea in Yamada's native tongue, and a series of other items that Dalkismanat could not identify. Dalkismanat sat down on the cushion across from Yamada. Yamada got up and started to prepare the tea, with the implements at the side of the room. Before she really started, she handed Dalkismanat a small sweet wrapped in paper. Dalkismanat thanked her and popped it into her mouth. Huh, not bad. When the tea was done, Yamada carefully poured it into the two bowls and returned with the bowls into the table. Thank you for this, Dalkismanat said before taking a sip of the tea. It was very hot, but very good. Thank you, Yamada said before taking a sip of herself. I wanted to talk to you in private, and this seemed to be as good as way to do it. I haven't done a ceremony like this since my grandma died. She insisted on teaching me how to do it properly. Alarm calls went off Dalkismanet's head. She suddenly recalled your mother's request that she not bring any electronics into the room besides her translator, and the fact that the disused storage room would likely have been unbugged by anyone, and these paper walls, thin as they were, would block cameras. This isn't about the tea, is it? Oh no, Yamada took another sip, though I hope you do like it. I tried to make it good. It's lovely, another sip. So what is this about really? You're spying on us. It was a matter-of-fact declaration. Dalkismanat tensed. How do you know? You've taken a sudden interest in our species, gathering all the data you can. It could just be a simple study. But your species have a bit of a reputation for espionage. Also, you just admitted it. Oops. Ah, Dalkismanach took a deeper sip of the tea to hide her embarrassment. 
So you are looking for a formal apology? What? No, your mother laughed. To be honest, we knew we'd be spied on by someone. That's a good sense. You think that we've not been passing things back to our own intelligence agencies? No, I want to talk to you because I have a query that you might be able to help me answer. Which is, who killed the Ambassador Van Vale and why? The air was icy cold, save for which the steaming from the tea. Why do you think I can answer that question? You obviously can't right now. No one can. But your whole species are adapted to camouflage and spying. That makes you the ideal people to ask for help with this delicate situation. Yamada took a drink of the tea. Humans' expressions were hard to read. But Dalkismanet thought she saw something of competitive gesture. Her human host was set a bowl back onto the low table. It's all to do with the phrase of manipulated assassins said, Yamada explained. Semper sic tyrannis. It's not just the words that matter, it's the history. You see, a long time ago, in one of the largest nations on earth, there was a period of widespread slavery. The people of that nation fought a civil war over the slavery, and those who were against it eventually prevailed. Unfortunately, the others did not go away, and one of them assassinated the nation's leader, shouting Sic Semper Tyrannus as he fled. Dalkismanat set her own ball down, confused. Hold on, this man was calling the leader of the anti-slavery faction a tyrant. Why? That nation is divided into a series of small states. The war was started because of national laws against slavery, and the pro-slavery faction saw that as a national government taking away their rights. That made it a bit more sense. I take it was a famous assassination. Very much so. Yamada picked up the ball again and took a sip and set it down. So here's my point. Ven Vale was a pro letting humans into the League and campaigned for it. That implies that there were people who didn't want us in. The assassins bankers were trying to make a point and to send a message to humanity that we aren't welcome. So why the lobotomized Zephond? Dalkismanat mulled over the question. Trying to blame the Zavadi holy constituencies, of course, though they didn't do a very good job of it, the alterations to his brain were discovered rather quickly. Exactly my point. We would know if it wasn't a Zavadi almost immediately. This only serves to raise the question of who did it and why, thus breeding distrust in the League. Who already don't trust humanity? Dal Gizmina took a sip and tried to work out how to ask the next question without upsetting the gigantic predator sitting across from her. Why do you think the League doesn't trust you? Individuals certainly, but, uh, oh, I don't know. You give us an amazing deal, your officials tiptoe around us, even when we're half your size, and we're the only meat-eaters of the League. Everyone else is a herbivore, a photovore, or a lightovore, except us. That would scare anyone. You don't trust us because some instinctive part of your brain thinks that we're going to eat you. Not quite, Dal Kismanat winced. It's not just about predation, it's your aggression. There's a scale that we use for calculating the average instinctual aggression of a species. The doozy are a one because they have effectively no aggression instincts at all. The strictek are an eight because they need aggression to protect the herd and predators and threats. And sometimes that means striking first. You guys, you're a sixteen. 
Imada's door dropped her eyes, nearly bugged out of her skull. Even someone who had never seen a human before would recognize this gesture as shock. At 16, I know that we can be violent, but that doesn't seem right. You have a concept on your world, a concept called terrorism. Normally, attacks are done out in the open, surprise attack and ambushes exist, but they are targeted at those who can and will fight back. On your world, attackers will murder hundreds if not thousands of innocent civilians for no reason other than to scare people. Dalkismanat froze. Are you okay? Or you'll murder one. One person, Dalkismanat's wings fluttered rapidly in alarm. Oh no. This whole time, diplomats and spies have been approaching what happened to Venvale as an outright declaration of hostility at war. What you said about spreading distrust, it's not just trust, it's fear, isn't it? She took a big drink of the tea as she tried to calm down. The eleven non-human races of the Stellar League have to be pushed to aggression, and the best way to do that is through fear. Prey animals panic and they are attacked and lash out. An unseen enemy, willing to commit terrible crimes and blasphemies for no obvious reason. Borrowing a phrase from the human history to make it seem like a message directed at us, which would provoke us by default. Yamala completed. Freck me, it was never about Lincoln and Booth and slavery. Whoever this was just trying to get a rise out of us, out of everyone. The primate and the insect sat in silence, taking the occasional cup of calming tea. After a few minutes of this, Dalgisman had noticed that a bowl was empty. She raised the bowl to examine in it, in what she read was a traditional manner. You might have smiled softly to see it. So, Dalgisman had said, it can't be the doozy because they literally don't have the aggression level to come up with something like this. Can't be the Zavadi because they would never cut one of their own off no matter what the person has done. I doubt it's the strict tech or the humanity for obvious reasons. Also, this is a very pretty bowl. I'm going to guess that it wasn't your people either. And thank you. It was my grandmother's. Dal Gizmanat lowered the bowl to look at Yamada properly. You're going to guess. You mean you don't know for sure if we're in on it or not. So, how did you know that you could trust me when I was already spying on you? I guessed, Yamada shrugged. Hey, if you tried to assassinate me for this, you'd have to find something that would actually kill me without killing your assassin as well. So she... She just guessed that you wouldn't kill her, or have someone else kill her. Like I said, a suicidal pack of primates. Well, I would say that it's probably also a reasoned assumption. Except, that would be her reasons, which implies that Captain Singh may also not have thought things through. Which part of suicidal pack of primates are you not getting? End of chapter.